0: And I'd like to take a moment to honor the native lands on which we live. We're grateful for native and indigenous peoples of the Americas and the care they have given to the lands on which we live. We pay our respects to our elders, both past and present. Uh, The Peace Alliance is guided by the five cornerstones of peace, humanizing justice systems, fostering international peace, practicing peace in schools, cultivating personal peace, and empowering community peace building. And I'd like to introduce Jay, who just joined the Peace Alliance Leadership Council as the empowering community peace building lead. She just, she's waving. I'm gonna say a little bit about her. Uh, She contributes over 30 years expertise as an executive management consultant. She's the co-founding member of the Unity 360 Institute powered by South Florida people of color. She is also the executive co-director of the Florida Restorative Justice Association. She was recently named a next-generation global leader by the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition and invited to the Leadership Council of the Peace Alliance to lead initiatives on community peace building across the globe. Jay earned her Master of Public Administration from the Wagner School of Public Service at New York University, and her undergraduate degree in psychology from Columbia University. Her career is dedicated to creating collaborative spaces across an intersection of networks, fostering relationships, and maintaining a vision to increase the capacity of those working toward equitable social and transformational justice until freedom dreams are reality. Very inspiring, Jay, welcome.
1: Chair and in community with everyone. Greetings, greetings, greetings. I'm excited to hear from you, Bunmi. Yes. All right.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Jay. Uh, The five cornerstones of peace building are endorsed in the blueprint for peace and clicking on the link uh, in the chat to sign the blueprint for peace will notify your state and federal officials that you support policy priorities around peace building and violence reduction. And you want those policy priorities reflected in legislation. So sign the petition today and it'll go to your legislators. And the five cornerstones of peace and the blueprint for peace support the vision and legislation for a US Department of Peace building and the bill calls for a department led by a cabinet level secretary of peacebuilding. And this department will replicate and expand successful programs devoted to ending violence, resolving conflict and creating and nurturing conditions for peace. And in the chat, you can see the link to the Department of Peace Peacebuilding uh, webpage with all of the information and more than you wanna know, could, could want to know on there, lots of info. And then you can read the uh, legislation, the bill also, there's a link to that. And Nancy Merritt is gonna update us on the latest news and events with the Department of Peacebuilding. Uh, She joined the Peace Alliance and Department of Peacebuilding campaign in 2004. She served as State Coordinator of California for over 15 years. She's a founding member of the Peace Alliance Department of Peacebuilding Committee, and she represents the Department of Peacebuilding campaign on the Peace Alliance Leadership Council. She's been instrumental in organizing actions and lobbying days for the legislation for the last 15 years. So over to you, Nancy.
2: Okay, thank you. Welcome everybody. It's nice to see all your faces for sure. I just, I just saw a spectacularly beautiful sunset out of my window so I'm feeling good. <laughs> Um, as many of you know, we were on the phone with Congresswoman Barbara Lee's office uh, a staffer moments before the insurrectionists overran the Capitol last year on uh, January 6th. And um, that call started with uh, Representative Lee's uh, legislative director telling us not to be distracted um, by the theatrics of the then um, administration and urging us to keep on with the work of peace building. So that's what we're doing. Um, To work for a more perfect democracy, it is more important than ever to establish a department of peace building, which brings the tools and skills of dialogue, violence prevention, and nonviolent conflict resolution to all societies of our culture, including our schools, our communities, and our government. We've been working um, for many years now to gain co-sponsors for this bill. And um, in, at the end of uh, December, as a result of our Holidays for Peace action, where we contacted 12 members of Congress um, to ask them to sign on, Sarah Jacobs from California and Ayanna Pressley from Massachusetts signed on to the bill. Um, So please keep up the good work of making the calls that we're asking you to make. Throughout 2022, we'll be taking monthly actions. Uh, We're calling 11 minutes, 11 calls for HR 1111. And so it's kind of um, fortuitous that today is January 11th. Good day to remind you all to make your calls. Um, I think it's in the chat. Yes, we put in the chat the folks we're working, uh, we're emphasizing in January. So please, um, please take 11 minutes and call those folks. Um, Also coming up uh, is Martin Luther King Day. And uh, you'll see an announcement coming out um, that will be encouraging all of you to vote uh, to have your congress people your senators vote yes on the freedom to vote act and the john lewis voting rights act which is obviously key to our democracy and then in february uh coming up pretty soon the end of january february is season for nonviolence, and we'll be sending out another uh, 11 minutes action and um so that's how we've been connecting with congress we've also been continuing our work connecting with other organizations. And thanks to uh, connections from Jay, we now have a new endorser from Hip Hop for Peace, which just joined joined our endorser list. So thank you, Jay, and everybody who was instrumental in that. And of course, we encourage all of you, if you know organizations that would like to join the list, uh, please ask them. And the information is on our website. And then um, lastly, um, continue your messaging for peace. Betty Cooper, who's a longtime um, Department of Peace building uh, advocate and an educator from Missouri, got an, a letter to the editor published on January 2nd in the, uh, in the Jefferson City, Missouri uh, News Tribune, which is the, the capital of that state. And it was on the topic of connecting violence prevention and Department of Peace Building. So just encouraging all of you, thanking thanking you for all you do and to stay hopeful and stay active and build democracy and uh, keep on acting for peace. So thank you. Thank you,
0: Nancy. All right, I'm gonna introduce Wendy and, And then she'll be speaking for about 25 minutes, then we'll have about 15 minutes uh, question and answer for any questions you might have. Abunmi Imananjo is an attorney with a biotechnology background and has a career that spans 17 years, moving fluidly between the legal and biotechnology worlds. She started her career in pharmaceutical litigation before moving on to regulatory policy in emerging technology, such as synthetic biology and nanotechnology. She eventually made the transition to government ethics while working at the Food and Drug Administration. Her current position is as an ethics attorney. She is also the founder of the Atlas Book Club, a book subscription box company focused on globally diverse children's books. And the books range from picture books to young adult books, so for many all ages. Uh, she began this in 2016 with the, the goal of ensuring her three Nigerian-American children continue to develop their knowledge of their African heritage. She knew that it was important that they read books where they saw themselves represented and that they were also exposed to books that reflected other cultures. What started off as a family book club focused on African countries grew into an exploration of different cultures and countries from around the world. Lumi witnessed how her children and others who participated in the book club connected with the different cultures through the selected books. She became even more passionate about sharing this transformative experience with kids nationwide and formed the Atlas Book Club, which began out of her home. I'm going to give you um, a link to uh, her um, website if you want to connect with her. And uh, we also have her email. Uh, And as an aside, after the call ends tonight, for those that wanna stay on, I'll be showing an eight minute video with examples of apologizing for remarks we make that may be culturally insensitive. So tonight's subject, does the media you consume reflect the diversity of people that exist in the world? Does your day-to-day life reflect the diversity you want? Bunmi will provide tips on how to control what occupies our spaces and influences our ideas about the world. She will also speak about how to learn about other cultures before you approach friends, acquaintances and strangers. So provide action steps you can take in your life to achieve these objectives. Thank you, Bunmi for being here and uh, I'm turning it over to you now.
1: Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kathy, and everyone. Thank you for having me and inviting me uh, into your community. I am really excited uh, to talk about all of this, and so and I, I and actually, I'm looking forward to the question and answer. That's usually my favorite part because that's more of a dialogue and a conversation. So, uh, but let's just get right into it. And so um, when Kathy asked me to speak, we actually went back and forth a little bit about, you know, what I wanted to talk about and how I wanted to uh, frame this uh, presentation, frame this talk uh, in the amount of time that I had, but well, in, a, in a manner that was impactful. And so as I go through um, talking for the next 20 minutes or so, um, I will give Uh, tangible suggestions, action items, because as I mentioned to Kathy, there's nothing that drives me nuts more than, you know, sitting for a conference or going to a talk and not walking away with actionable items. I want you to, as soon as I'm done talking, you close your computer, you have specifics that you can immediately uh, implement. And so, um, Talking about media, so I want to talk about diversity and inclusion in a different way. So there are a lot of talks out there now about diversity and inclusion, and there are a lot of experts doing fantastic uh, Hello, jobs. This yes. is Beth.
0: Uh, we're, we're in progress, Beth.
1: Okay. Uh, there are a lot of uh, experts doing outstanding an outstanding jo- job uh, teaching a lot of people about diversity and inclusion, right? But I want us in this talk to talk about uh, uh, diversity and inclusion, but from a global perspective, especially when I look at the work that you all are doing and I look at the community that you're serving, uh, I think approaching it from a global perspective and then really thinking through how do we cultivate global awareness, right? There are numerous ways to call Cultivate global awareness, but we're going to talk today about how we cultivate that through the media that we consume. And we we'll talk about why in a little bit. But well, when I think about global awareness, there, there are a lot of um, definitions out there. But there's one that I saw that really encapsulated for me what I think global awareness is. And it basically says that global awareness is the building of a value system. I just love that. As soon as I saw that, saw that I was like, boom, that's it. Because you're building a value system very similar to like a moral value. Value system, right? And so you're building a value system when you cultivate global awareness that's flexible, that's curious, open respectful, but then also recognizes that there's diversity that exists within cultures. And so when I saw that, I just thought this is perfect because in your development of global awareness, you want to be flexible, right? You want your mind to and your your headspace to be able to to be limber and in, in order to accumulate and and, and um accept the information that is coming into your mind, accept information about other people, other cultures, other races that may be coming into your mind. You want to be curious. You want to have that childlike curiosity because it's impossible to learn everything about every single culture. But what your goal is, is to feed that curiosity because what I find, and, and that's something that I am very passionate about and that has served me really well is when I pull that thread of curiosity, it just continues to open my mind even further. And so that's what part of building uh, um a value system that's framed in global awareness that's part of it so you want to be flexible you want to be curious you want to open you want to come to situations and people that are different from who you are uh with an open mind because what you're going to experience is you're going to experience things um experiences that are different from you, and they're only different because they're not how you typically do things. That's what makes them different. So you have to be open uh, to explore that, uh, but, but then do it in a respectful manner, right? Doing in a respectful manner that recognizes that though this thing, this people, this race is different, um, is not uh, that that whatever the difference is is even more deserving of our respect because we don't know enough about it and then recognizing that there's diversity within stories, within cultures, within people. So when you put all those things together and you use that framework to build a value system that allows you to cultivate a global awareness. And so how do you cultivate a global awareness? There are many ways to do it, right? And Um, one of the ways we're going to focus on the media that you consume, but I'll just throw in a couple out there that we're not going to dive into. Uh, You can do uh, cultivate your global awareness by experiencing cultural events. And so a quick good example of this is Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year is next month, and it's uh, celebrated in different parts of the world. No matter what city you go to, there is a Chinese New Year celebration going on for Chinese New Year. And so even if you're not Chinese or if you have no affiliation or friends or, or family members that are Chinese, that's a way to cultivate global awareness because you have that curiosity to put in Google, Chinese New Year in my city, right? And most of the time the celebrations are free so it's an opportunity to learn more about that culture. So that's just one example. And then of course the example that we're gonna talk about today is a media, right? How do you use the media that you're always consuming whether subconsciously or consciously, how do you use that to cultivate global awareness? Um, So before we dive into that, and we will, I wanna talk because I have a science background. Um, I approach things from a scientific perspective. It just helps me. And so hopefully this helps you too. I wanna talk about how the brain works, right? Just, I'm not a brain scientist at all, in a very simplistic form. (laughs) And I'm not a psychologist, hello, uh, Ms. Thompson. (laughs) But um, the brain uh, is like a giant sorting computer. Right. So, if you think about the brain in that matter, it's continuously taking on in data, and this will become relevant in a minute. Uh, it's continuously taking on data and generating shortcuts in your brain and writing. Stories, right, based on the data and the information that it's taken in. And so what the brain wants to do is generate shortcuts so that it frees up space, all very simplistically, it's more complicated than that, but it frees up space um, so that it can work more effectively on things that require its attention, fight and flight, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So what the brain does with certain data, it creates the shortcuts. So for example, when you get back from work, some people uh, would, you you know, you come in, you open the door. Sometimes you'll have like a little console table. It's just automatic. You put down your keys, you hang up your coat. you, you know, go drop off your lunch box or whatever. And, you know, there are just certain routines that because you've Seen that so many times, uh, because you've done that so many times, it's now wired into your brain. It's a shortcut. Or when you're driving to work, you take the same route every day. Sometimes you just, you know, only God protects us. I'm Christian. So, (laughs) you know, you get there, and you're like, whoa, you zoned out for the last 20 minutes and you're already at work because your brain has created this shortcut. That's the same for information and data that your mind is taking in about different people, different races, different cultures, right? And so, and this is how very simplistically, uh, how implicit bias is created. And so what you want to do is you have a responsibility to feed your brain as much diverse data as possible to help shatter the single story narratives that your brain is already writing based on the data that it's exposed to. So let me give you an example. Um, As you know, I started Atlas Book Club, and before we turned Atlas Book Club into a business, um, I would go to my kids' schools. So we live in a neighborhood that's not very diverse. Uh, It's a lovely neighborhood. We love it here, but that's just the reality. And at the time, I think my son, who was in fourth grade, was the only Black boy in his class. And my daughter was in second grade, and she was one of a few, maybe three black kids in her class. And so what I would do is I would go to the elementary school and I would take with me um, books as a guest reader and read, uh, you know, as a surprise guest reader to the class for a couple of reasons. I wanted my kids to be very proud of where they were from, right, and to have a strong sense of self. So I would take a book set in an African, a picture book set in an African country. But then what happened was is uh, because these kids were not exposed to books set in different parts of the world, it was just such an amazing experience because they would sit there with their eyes like saucers and just soaking in all that information. But something really interesting happened on one of those uh, uh, um, readings, those guest reading things that I went to do. Um, I was My daughter was in second grade, so it was the second grade class. Second grade is what? Like seven, eight years old, I think. Um, and I took a book set in Burkina Faso, it's a, a country in West Africa. And I read the book and then as I finished reading the book, this little girl um, said, oh, Amaka's mom, I, I have a question. I said, sure, what's your question? She said, I think that book is racist. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Why do you say that? Why do you think that? And she said, because there are no white people in that book. So this little girl um, just had never heard of a country or seen um, illustrated in a book a country where there are no white people. She, her brain hasn't been exposed to that. So she had automatically just categorized in her brain at no fault of her own um, that that book must be racist because it doesn't have any white people in it, like she um, couldn't envision a country where there were no white people. And so that's just an example of how that though your brain is writing those type of stories with from childhood, right, um, throughout your life. So I just wanted to show you an example of that. Um, Another example that I actually want to give now that's come to mind, and I have a book here to show you. is, and I'm keeping an eye on the time, when does this end again? When do we switch a question and answer format? Oh, you're on mute, Kathy.
0: At 10 or 15 minutes after.
1: 10, okay, good. Yeah. So I, I like to keep an eye on the time and be respectful yeah. of your agenda. Um, so, yeah. So um, another thing, and I love children's books, and I do in children's books for a whole number of reasons. But Um, Another example that I want to give is about a particular children's book called Antoinette. And I know Olivia is going to put uh, the name is Antoinette by Kelly Deputure. And um, when I started thinking about the book that I want us to select. So just to give you a really quick um, background about Atlas Book Club, every month we explore a different country, right? And so when we explore that country, we select books Um, that represent select books that are set in those different countries. And we curate an experience in our Atlas Book Club boxes. So the kids can explore that particular country through the book that they read, and also some educational materials. So there was a particular country that we were going to explore, uh, we were going to explore France, right. And um, so when I was selecting books for our exploration of France, I was very determined to select Books set in Paris that had people of color. And here's why. Uh, last year, no, not last year, the whole time is like a weird loop now, 2019, before the pandemic, my whole family and my kid, my kids, my husband, we traveled, we went to Paris. And so being you know the book nerd that I am, I searched and searched and searched for children's books set in Paris that had kids of color. It didn't even have to be black kids. It could be any kind of kid of color, right? Any racial background, and I couldn't find any. And that just blew my mind. It was just, I I just kept searching and I was flabbergasted that I couldn't find any children's books that had children of color uh, any children's book set in Paris that had children of color as the main characters. And so anyway, fast forward uh, last year, when I was looking for books set in Paris, I found this one. It's called Antoinette. And the reason that I ended up featuring that this book, as you can see, you can see people of different shades, um, or even though it's a book that has a dog has the main character, you can see people of different shades. And so what this does is when a child says it, or even an an adult reading this book to their child, it normalizes the fact that people of color and people, different kinds of people can occupy different types of spaces. And so I bring this, even though this is not about children's books, I wanted to show you this because This is just an example of how you shatter single-story narratives subconsciously, you know, single-story narratives subconsciously. The other part of this book, if I can find it very quickly, is it shows, oh, now I can't find it. I should have bookmarked it. Um, There's a picture in this book where it shows a woman in Paris. It has the Eiffel Tower in the background, and there are two people in a cab, and if you're not paying attention, you can easily miss it. And one of the women is wearing a hijab, you know, and then you have uh, a setting where uh, there are a couple of women sitting, you know, at what looks like a cafe. And one of them, you know, is brown skinned and she has this fancy hat and she's drinking a glass of wine and the other woman is fair skinned. So anyway, I point all that to say, you know, there are ways where you can feed your brain images that shatter those single narratives that your brain is, wire, is, is wired um, to create based on the data that you're feeding it. So I wanted to uh, give you those specific examples. Now, how do you um, sort of uh, give your brain that data that shatters those single narratives? It's by deliberately and intentionally doing the work. Right. And how do you do that work? You expose your brain to different types of information. Some of the types of information are foundational information, like historical information, you know, facts, stuff that's happened in history to give your brain that foundational information. But then also different types of stories, like what I've mentioned earlier. And again, the goal is to shatter those single story narratives. And so, why bother doing this at all? Right. Why should you go to this? you know, deliberate um, step of creating uh, all different types of stories in your brain that represents the diversity that's out in the world. Because of course, the work that you do, there are some very obvious reasons, right? You know, the work that you do, uh, doing that, there are plenty of studies that show when people are exposed to different cultures, different types of stories, different people, it helps build compassion, empathy. Uh, An example of that is, you know, uh, as far as extension of grace. So I talk about this in, in one of my other talks, is who, a question I ask them to, to ask themselves is who do you extend grace to? Who is your grace reserved for, right? Is your grace only reserved for the people who look like you, who you understand, who you know, their, their you know, backgrounds, you know, their stories, is that who your grace is is reserved for? Or do you extend your grace to people who you don't know who are very different from you? And I know the the knee jerk reaction. Of course, I extend my grace to everyone, and it, you know. But let me give you an example, right? So, uh, and I'll use myself an example as an example. I'm Nigerian American, and um, there's a stereotype, which some stereotypes are based in fact, that Nigerians are always late right? And so, you know, that stereotype is out there, that narrative is out there, and it exists. So say, for example, if you have an employee uh, who happens to be Nigerian, and you've heard that narrative, you've heard it somewhere, and it's been repeated enough times, and now it's in your brain, you're not even really thinking about it, it's just there, subconsciously, your brain has written that down. And so, say you're, that employee is late on Thursday, and they go like, oh, she's, and she has a very valid reason, you know, pandemic aside, because, you know, all the pandemic has changed a lot of things, but pandemic aside, um, so she's late on Thursday, and then the following week, she's late again, and, and then she's late again, and I'm assuming she's communicating how she should be, and doing all those other things, right, is your brain saying, huh, you know, oh, yeah, you know, Nigerians are always late, You know what I mean, I've heard somewhere that Nigerians are always late. So do you extend that grace to that person uh, the way you would to anybody else? Or is your implicit bias uh, impacting who you reserve your grace for? And so that's just an example of how when you make these efforts to shatter those single story narratives and you're really um, practicing compassion and empathy, you're doing it in a deliberate, intentional way manner so how do we do this right so we talked you know a lot of uh background type of information how can you be intentional about the data that you're feeding your brain and by data in this sense i'm going to talk specifically about media and so how do you do that you know there's a maya angelo uh saying that i absolutely love that says that um you are responsible for the energy that you bring into any space. But I take that even one step further and say that you're responsible for the energy that you bring into your own space, right? So what is the information that you're bringing into your space? What are you feeding yourself? So let's talk about the different types of media, right? Let's talk about, I'm going to talk specifically about movies and shows, social media, and then we'll talk about books. And I'll give you some examples, but then I'll also give you ways by which you can now use those media that you are, well, you may not be consuming all of them, (laughs) because I know there are people who are not on social media. You're not necessarily, you know, a big reader, you know, maybe you don't read books, but You can take these principles and apply them to other areas of your life and, you know, media that you may be be consuming. So movies and shows, for example, here's what I love about Netflix. I know of Netflix, you know, if you have it, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I love Netflix in the sense that when you watch one particular type of show in a particular genre, it like opens the floodgates of that. It's like a gateway into shows that fall into that genre or that particular part of the world. I just absolutely love it. That is an easy way to curate your feed, to curate the the movies and shows that you're watching. So I want to give you three movies that I've seen in the past couple of uh, years that I just absolutely love. And to show you how those are examples of shattering single story narratives. My favorite movie that I watched last year, period, and I watched a lot of shows probably too much, um, is Funny Boy, um, produced by Eva DuVernay's Array uh, Films, or Array, I don't know what, it's Array something. It's her production company. First of all, anything Eva DuVernay does is like a must- watch. It is. She's just brilliant. And she is very, very deliberate about producing and telling stories that are diverse and from setting all the different parts of the world. So Funny Boy is um, set in Sri Lanka in the early 80s. It is absolutely fantastic. It's a coming of age story, coming out story of this young gay boy. And what that means uh, set in the setting of the civil war in Sri Lanka in the early eighties. It is fantastic. And it's an example of a a shattering of a single story because it's in a different part of the world, but it's also a different type of coming out story. And I just absolutely love it. So that's one. Another one, um, I saw a few years back is a separation. It's an Iranian story and it is, uh, basically follows this couple has they, uh basically their marriage is falling apart and it is absolutely beautiful. And it shows a, an aspect of Iranian culture that I had no idea. We all have, or not all, I'll rephrase some of us, or the story, the single story narrative that's out there about arranged marriages and, you know, um, certain types of, uh, cultural marriages, this shatters that. So that's just an example of a single story narrative that's very much out there. And it's, you know, a, a media, a piece of storytelling media that shatters that. And then lately, I think like two weeks ago, I am so late to the game on this, I saw The Harder They Fall um, on Netflix. Fantastic. This is a story of black cowboys. I had never even knew nothing about that. And so this is a fantastic storytelling that's your Midwest uh, cowboy movie, but it's based on a Black cowboy story. It is amazing. So those are just three examples of single story narratives that exist. And just just like that, if you're a movie watcher, you can pick one of these three and tomorrow you can watch it and enjoy You're welcome. Um, Let's talk about social media, right? I have five minutes. Social media. So here's what I did at the beginning of the pandemic. um, Two, five minutes, 10 minutes. I have 10 minutes. Awesome. Uh, At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, two years ago, one year, you all know when that was. We all know. beginning of the pandemic, Uh, a lot of us were spending a lot of time on social media. And there are not, I have the numbers written down somewhere, but there are numbers to show the significant spike because we were all home. This is for you if you're a social media type of person. If you're not, it's okay. Um, But what I did was I uh, am fortunate to be part of very diverse groups, you know, so I have a lawyer mom networking group that's very diverse. And I posted in there, hey, who do you people follow on social media? Very easy. Yes, oh, the how of the fall is very valid. Thank you for whoever put that up there. It is very violent. So <laughs> it is very good. Um, so I just asked, who do you follow on social media? And the outpour, or, or I specifically asked Instagram. And my friends listed All these people you know like set in different parts of the world and I went and I follow 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 followed everyone so what I have now when I open my social media it is so it fills my heart it's so enriching like I see you know, I could be scrolling and then I see, you know, like this, I love South Asian culture, next African culture, South Asian culture is probably my favorite. It might be because I grew up watching Bollywood movies. That was a thing in Nigeria. We all grew up watching Bollywood movies. I don't know. We knew all the dances to the songs, but we had no idea what they were talking about. Uh, But I love South Asian culture. So I'm scrolling through my um, uh, Instagram feed and I see like South Asian cuisine, you know, cuisine from Bangladesh, Punjabi culture. I see all these beautiful image, images in my feed. And next thing you know, I'm seeing like South Korean culture and I'm seeing Native American culture. Co- like I follow, it's not on my list, but I'll say it anyway, Indigenous Baddie, Indigenous Baddie, B-A-D-D-I-E. I love her. Um, I think she's a member of the First Nations tribe, young lady, but she just carries her culture so beautifully and so that is an easy way to diversify the media that you're consuming and whether you realize it or not because for a lot of people social media and scrolling you through is a very passive action you're not going there to like like you're bringing your brain to the table like you're reading a thesis statement or a clinical study you know you're just passing time is for the most part, is a somewhat mindless activity. But you will be surprised the information that your brain is taking in has part of that mindless activity. So another thing is, you know, so I did that and I was watching, it might have been Indigenous, at Indigenous Baddie, I was watching some of her videos. And my daughter, because that's what kids do, is hovering over my shoulder. And she's like, oh, what's What are you watching and i go oh it's this you know um uh first nations young lady and this she's like oh and she's like oh that's really interesting what is she wearing and then we do this deep dive into you know what she's wearing her culture and we do more research on google i mean the internet just makes global awareness cultivating global awareness you know very accessible so that's an example hashtags hashtags are your friend hashtags are that gateway on social media into soaking in lots of information so um hashtag we need diverse books that's a great one if you're a parent and you're looking for diverse books for kids uh of course the atlas book club account at atlasbookclub.com we actually have a special that we a series that we do every wednesday called shattering single stories and we post facts and information that shatters the stories um, single stories that exist for particular cultures that we're ex- examining that month. Um, hashtag diversify your feed is another great one. Hashtag diversify your feed. Hash, and then the easiest thing to do, if there's a topic, you don't even, here's the beautiful thing about Instagram. You don't have to have an account, you don't. You can go on Google and put in hashtag, whatever your topic of, so if you're interested in um, Indian food, Oh, my, okay, Google, I'm just picking up stuff. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, you say the word and then you're, yeah, anyway, it's quiet now. <laughs> um, so you just put hashtag the topic that you're interested in and you can consume that information. And whether it's, you know, books or movies, just put that culture in for hashtag Indian culture, hashtag, you know, um, South Korean cuisine. And that information pops up. Um, now, books. What are the kinds of books? I have three minutes. What are the kinds of books that are on your shelf? Books, if you are a reader, is another great gateway into different cultures. And so what you wanna be thinking about is, does that book that I'm about to say, does it shatter the single story narrative? Is it by an illustrator of color? Is it by um, a, an, an author uh, from a, a, a uh, marginalized group? Those are some of the things you wanna, is not an own voice, right? Because especially if you're entering for the first time into a culture, you want to, you want to be certain that it's being told by an authentic own voice, because that's going to be your first impression of that culture. And so those are some of the things you want to be thinking about when you're picking a book off a shelf, right? And then uh, reading challenges, you know, for books, there are tons of reading challenges. We have one on the Atlas Book Club uh, Instagram account. This is one that we did uh, last month, like read a book set in China, read a book set in Europe read a a, um, a fantasy book set in a different country, you know, those are ways where you can deliberately uh, cultivate that global awareness. Another thing that you can do is use the time of the month to create opportunities to deep dive into that culture. That's an easy way to do it. So January, let's see, we talked about Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year, actually it's in February this year, but sometimes it's in January. So in February, we have Chinese New Year this year, we have Black History Month, Use that has opportunities and cues to deep dive into that culture. Um, March, let's see, I, I think Hispanic Heritage Month. I mean, you have all these different things going on at different times of the year and use that to dive in. So the goal is just to have enough information You want to create this, uh, cultivate that global awareness so you have enough information to enter into conversations with. Your partners in doing peace building work um, in a in an intentional manner, so you can have an exchange that's mutually beneficial, right? So when you have enough information, you can enter those conversations very respectfully, and so that you're just not entering the conversation and asking questions like, "Oh, Buni, what language do you speak?" or um, "Where you know what part of Nigeria you're from." Instead of doing that, you can enter the conversation and say, oh, hey, Bumi, I hear you're from Nigeria. Um, You know, I learned, it's very simple. You can say, I learned that, or I researched and Googled. Nobody's expecting you to come to the table an expert. You can say, I Googled the other day and found that Nigeria has different tribes, Yoruba, Hausa, and Igbo. Do you mind me asking you what tribe you're from or what language your tribe speaks? That's a very intentional manner of engaging in that conversation compared to coming in and asking questions in a way that the other party is doing all the work and you're not creating a a flow and a mutually beneficial engagement. So I think I have run out of time. Um, I tried to squeeze so much in to this 20, 25 minutes. You can learn more about me and the work that I do. I do speaking engagements and also do workshops at the website, which Olivia is going to drop somewhere. That's my email, atlasbookclub.com. And uh, the website's atlasbookclub.com slash work with me. You can get more information there. All right. Questions? Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a lot. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, any questions anybody
3: has? I'm going to share, um, you have my mind spinning, 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 spinning. good girl, you got, got me going, a couple of things that stand out to me was the, the whole idea about the, the elasticity of the brain, uh, I'm older, so generally people of my generation are talking about elasticity of the brain in terms of just maintaining life. But the idea of, um, as you say, using gateways mm-hmm. to stimulate your brain so that you actually increase your elasticity and your openness and, consequently, compassion, understanding, et cetera, et cetera, is a great. It's it's just a great story. It's not only a story. It's a great reality that I had not I had not thought about in quite that way. So. Thank you so much. I, I got so much out of it, and uh, the other thing that um, that is of very much interest to me, and, and I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more about it, is this idea which I'm kind of synthesizing about using algorithms in social media and in selection of movies, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that in op- in picking very diver or things that aren't What you normally would choose Mm -hmm. then opens up other algorithms in that system, whether it's Facebook or Netflix or whatever, to feed you Mm -hmm. diverse information or new information that you normally would not have been fed. So that intentionality of using algorithms instead of being at the effect of algorithms, I think is quite brilliant. I'm going to, I have a daughter who works in that tech area. I'm going to definitely talk to her about that. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm wondering um, if you, where you got that insight or where or has that just come out of your own personal experience? Um, but it, it's
1: fascinating to me. Yeah. So that has definitely come out of my own experience, but then um, I read a lot about just the way the the way the mind works and how if you allow yourself, if you open your mind and allow your, your, your mind to create that space, to accept those kinds of information into your mind space, the opportunities will be more visible to you, mm-hmm. right? And so you may not have thought about it before, but I bet you now, when you go on Netflix, you're going to notice. And so that's, that's just how in, you know, what I've studied and in how I, I try to be very intentional about the way I live my life. And so when you're that intentional and you're, you open, I try very much to operate from a very open mind space. You notice these things, right? And so when you do and you take action on them then they could, it's almost like a domino effect, but instead of the domino just falling, it falls and opens wider, whatever that I'm sure there's a term for it. Yeah. Um, and it just opens, but your, your mind space and your eyes just continue to open wider and wider. And it's like this gateway into this whole new world. And I almost think it's a disservice not to do that because you're, if you're not doing that and 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 opening your heart space, your mind space to those diverse experiences, I feel like you're doing, you're missing out. It's just so much richness out Mm -hmm. in the world. And you can't, I mean, well, there are people who can't travel everywhere, but this is an opportunity to travel to different spaces and and see different things um, that will ultimately enrich your mind. And I'm gonna say one person that I did not say, She's, and here's another thing shattering that single story narrative, Hayet Rita, H-A-Y-E-T-R-I-D-A. Follow her on um, Instagram. And you don't have to follow her because, you know, she has a lot of different kinds of content, but she's a blogger. She's a, you know, I think she's Ghanaian, uh, but she lives here in the U.S. and she actually works for Facebook and Instagram, but on the side, she's a blogger. And she went to Ethiopia um, early last year, but she went into the heart of Ethiopia, the parts of Ethiopia you don't care about. And she, she's also a photographer. And my goodness, she, I was sitting there on my phone. Like, <laughs> she captured the beauty of the more remote part of Ethiopia and the people there. And these are people who you know, have their own civilization and their own way of doing things. And so if you go to her Instagram account and you look at her highlights, click on her Ethiopia stories and your mind will be blown. It is absolutely stunning. Some of the images she captured and her storytelling of those images. And so that's just an example of now, once you do that and then the the algorithm then uh, recognizes that and you just start seeing just some amazing stories.
0: Well, oh. anybody else have uh, RJ.
4: Uh, Boomi, thank you very much. Thanks for bringing this energy into the room. I just feel that you, you've, you've woken the room up and, and got, and, and got me moving. So, so I appreciate that. And you're, you're really hitting on some things that I find near and dear to my heart. Some of the work that I do is around somatic work and how mm-hmm. we handle how the brain shuts us down, it constricts us, fight, flight, or freeze. And so I appreciate your bringing in some of the brain work, right? The, the neural pathways that that we're accustomed to to doing and, and we're trying to shift neural pathways, right? So it takes mm-hmm. a long time to get there, right? It's a lot of practice. So my my question is just an understanding of if, what your process is to help people um, reframe themselves so they can be open and curious right that mm-hmm. that we're inviting them to these forums and if we walk in with that energy of being constricted into the forum it's it's still a struggle to ex- to explore and be mm-hmm. available to us and so you know i have practices that we do but i'd love to hear how you invite people to step into a new framework so that they can be open curious and
1: alive Yeah, and so, and this is an approach that you can use for pretty much anything, right? Um, I started framing last year and I read something somewhere. Um, I started framing everything in worthiness, right? And I started looking at everything from a sense, uh, from a, a lens of worthiness. And so what I tell people in my talks is this, You are worthy of bringing your very best self to every single encounter, every conversation, everything that you do. You're worthy of bringing your very best self, right? And the person that you're interacting with deserves your very best self. And so how do you do that, right? How do you bring your very best self in the context of what we're talking about here? You do the work right? You make an effort to learn more. So if you're meeting someone from Sri Lanka, for example, you know you have a meeting, you do some homework. You know, you Google and learn about that person's culture. And, and so not you, that you go and say, hey, I heard you're from Sri No, but when that person is speaking with you and you can respond in a manner that shows that you have done some work about their culture and you're interested in seeing them and hearing them because no matter what, they are going to be speaking from their experiences, even if they're talking about coffee, right? They're going to be speaking from their experiences and from wherever they're from, from their background. And so there are going to be nuances in the things that they say that exist there because of their culture. And so when you bring your best self to the table and you've done the work, you can pick up on those nuances. And guess what happens when you pick up on those nuances? That other person feels seen and feels heard. And then there's an exchange of energy. There's a flow there that just happens when you show up in that manner. And so that's one of the main things that I tell people is like, how do you want to show up? in your conversations and the experiences that you have with other people. How do you, I I mean, you can show up any old way and just, you know, but if you really want to show up and you deserve to, you're worthy of doing that work and showing up in that way, then that just completely changes things, right? And it it changes the way you approach the work. It's no longer um, a task. I have to do this DEI thing, right? But it's a way of enriching yourself. And then what we talked about earlier uh, with Judy is your life becomes so much richer. Your experiences are just so much fuller. And who doesn't want that? Because if you're showing up, you know, of course, you know, there are DEI courses that are requirements, but you're either showing up because you have to as a result of work or because you want to. And if you want to, then you might as well show all the way up, right? But if you're there because you have to, well, you're already here, you know, then how about you show up? And so those are just some ways that you present to clients that, hey, this is what we're doing. But at the end of the day, the person has to be willing to do that. And if that's just one way of presenting it, and if that doesn't resonate with them, I'm sure there are other things you can try, but you know, that's how I've approached it in the past.
0: So we're gonna stop there, Me. Those yes. are great last words. I'm gonna uh, take a couple of minutes to close the call, and then I'm gonna end with a quote by Bunmi. Um So again, next Tuesday, we uh, are having our call for volunteers to come and look at at a committee you might want to join. The fourth Tuesday of every month, we have the Multicultural Book Club. Uh, This month, it's uh, Men We Reaped, a memoir by Jasmine Ward. February and March, we're doing an Indigenous People's History of the United States, the half the book in February, the other half in March. And I'm looking for a diverse team to help me select books. So contact me at Kathy at peacealliance.org or come next week. And then the first Tuesday of every month, we have empathy circles. And so if you appreciate the work we do, please consider donating. Uh, Go to the link in the chat or peacealliance.org. The top right hand corner has the donate button. Uh, We have hope circles on the second and fourth Saturday of the month. And uh, we have a, a, a podcast where you find podcasts of all of our calls, the National Peace Builder Call, Department of Peacebuilding Call, and our Hope Story Circles. Uh, and so I'm going to close with a quote. And uh, anyone who wants to stay and watch the eight-minute video with examples of, of apologizing for remarks we make that might be culturally insensitive, just stay on after the quote. Uh, So, let me see this quote, Bunmi, that I want to read of yours. All right. This is by Bumi Imananjol. A curious mind, a yearning for constant learning, a fearless pursuit of your purpose, and an active practice of giving and gratitude are key to living your best life. Bunmi, thank you so much. This has been wonderful.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate your generosity of your time and your energy. Thank you.
0: And likewise. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance found at peacealliance.org.